Oh, man. I don't know if we should stop the pod or if we should count this pod. I guess we just, it's all, they're all pods. All pods matter. Count I the said. pods. Count the pods. We're counting the pods here, folks. Don't it's, count the pods. Don't count the pod. It's episode 281, folks, of the Uticast. And this week, we are joined by a really, really excellent guest, our good friend from Utica College and from the Sustaining Utica Project, Kyle Riker, who I don't think gets enough credit for the work he did for me, and I'm going to let him know during the interview. Uh, also this week, we're certainly going to talk about uh, the 2020 uh, presidential election. We'll talk about Joe Biden, Donald Trump. We'll talk a little bit about COVID. We'll talk about Alex, uh, Alex Trebek. Shout out to Alex Trebek, the legend. Uh, plus, history lessons, a section of big news, a little bit of see you later. Uh, history lessons, all of this, folks, and so much more. As always, we are happy have you here for another episode of the Unicast. Oh, yeah. Special episode of the Uticast. Very exciting mm. episode. Uh, really looking forward, actually, to this week's guest. Mm. Uh, and I'll, let's get that out of the way first, because he's a great guy, and I don't want to like ignore what I'm saying. Uh, our good friend Kyle Riker. Uh, he, you may know him from his new podcast, Sustaining Utica, which is something mm. he's doing through Utica College, or you may know him as the public relations man at Utica College. He is a man of many hats. I've known him for. Most of my graduate career as an education guy at Utica College, I'm very excited to talk to him. There's mm. so many things that he's been involved with over the last 10 years in this in this city. Uh, Utica Zombie Walk, he worked at the radio station, he worked for the Utica College Tambourine, he's won Syracuse Press Awards. Really excited mm. to talk to him uh, about the new project. Always illustrious guests. I'm excited to talk to him. He's a, he's a guy that I've known for many years and I'm really yeah, excited yeah. to finally have him on the show. Yeah, that's great. Um, what a good week. What a good week really podcast. <laughs> it's a beautiful day here as well in the studio. I feel light. I feel light. It's early. It's sunny out. Uh, you know. I'm kind of torn between how we want to do... Again, so... Do what? To talk about everything going forward. Because normally going when I do this show, I uh, try to start things with some quick notes. Like some fun stuff. We've been chatting up this week before we get into all the notes. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. I uh, and I'm really struggling to come up with anything important to talk about. I, it, feel, it feels like it's been a slow week. You know what I mean? Like, not a lot not a lot has happened this week. Um, not, you know, nothing really going on. I want to... So, I'll shout out one thing I noticed before we did the podcast. It is very early on a Monday as we record this today. So Super early for us on a Monday, yeah. So early, in fact, that as we were getting ready to record the show, the soap operas were on. And during the commercials, I saw two separate... Christmas theme commercials, uh, Kevin. They're they're rolling them out. They're rolling them out. They're all, I mean, listen. Maybe one could argue that 2020 would be a nice year for Christmas to come early. It does sort of feel a tough year. And I'll, let me tell a you, tough year. Let's talk about the three people I feel like in the last week who've really had Christmas come early. These are my mm. personal three people who oh, I feel like okay. have made Christmas come. Early came the most for them. These people have brought it to you, or it's come the most. It's to come them. for them. I see. This I see. is their Christmas. Okay. Uh, that would be the memers. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Jiffers. 
I see. And the headline writers for newspapers across the country. Uh-huh. I, these three people have been absolutely living the dream mm. since uh, Saturday's declaration uh, of Joe de- Biden. What did they declare on Saturday? Oh, I don't know if you guys know. Uh, former President Joe Biden is now the president-elect of the United States after defeating Donald J. Trump uh, in the electoral Former vice president. Former, yeah, former, now going to be the president. Okay, so here's where I want to start. Okay. Okay, th- I've been trying to figure out... I needed to start here because this is mm. my favorite single thing I've read all week. And okay. I am not like a dunk contest type of guy. It's just not mm. my thing, necessarily. Uh, I get a, I mean, I'm sure I had some fun looking at all the wrestling memes on Twitter, but I'm not here every day to spend the next three weeks being like, oh, let's dump on... On Trump supporters. I'm ready for something new. I'm ready for some positivity. Uh-huh. That being said, uh, I want to talk about this article from the Queen's Eagle, of the Daily Queen's Eagle. Uh, here's the headline. Queen's man evicted. 74-year-old Jamaica estates developer with less than three months left at his current address. Uh, after Americans overwhelmingly voted him out of the White House this week. Uh, mm. I like when your Queen's newspaper is dunking on you. Hometown newspaper. This would be the equivalent of the O.D., I mean, it's, you know, this what's what happened? The report and the facts. It is just And facts. the facts don't care about your feelings. It's true. That's what I've heard a lot. I have heard, heard a lot of that. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we've, I mean, it, we, I don't know how we can get into everything here. What do you there's, mean? There's a lot to break down. It's like, first off, I guess you want to talk about how are you feeling? Did you feel any discernible difference yeah. on Saturday? Yeah. When the, I mean, I listen, I'm... Uh, the, the the election was over. The race was a foregone conclusion since Wednesday. Yeah. It was nice to see it. It was nice to see other people uh, who, uh, I don't know, weren't following math or whatever, were just sort of yeah. like buying whatever shit like the TV news yeah. ratings drivers were mm-hmm. throwing and that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's been over. It was, it was really nice to see it. Yeah, it was a nice... It was a nice day. I was really happy for it. It was wild to see all the celebrations. Um, yeah, yeah, it was great. I felt, yeah. I felt great. I think that was actually. I don't want to say. I don't know why it was surprising to me, but it was to suddenly see like everyone who I know still in New York being like, "This is insane. I've never seen anything like this." As yeah, streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, and it's funny too because I did do that thing. You know, the election was on Tuesday, and I think by Friday it was pretty clear for everybody where this was heading. But I was sort of concerned. I was like, the longer we sit here and not say what's going on, the more, like, open space there is for people to, like, throw all this, like, speculation. Baseless speculation, certainly. But, like, the longer we go without, you know, saying it until Saturday morning, at least, I was like, people are just going to be building up nonsense for the next... So, like, there's a certain amount of kowtowing that we do to to these bad faith arguers and these disingenuous people. It's like, oh, well, they're going to... If we don't call it out, they're going to say all this. Look, look, they're going to say all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Either way, they're going to throw bad faith, baseless accusations of fraud and different shit like that, no matter what happens. So, like, it's just not really about taking that viewpoint seriously unless there's some sort of factual evidentiary basis to to put it forward. So, there's a million articles you can read about this. Mm. I chose to go with this week's uh, four takeaways uh, plus one for the 2020 election. This is from NPR. Mm. Okay, so... According to NPR, we're looking at 290 electoral votes for Donald Trump. When this is all over, we're talking somewhere about 306, probably. For Biden? For Biden. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is about exactly the same-ish number that 
uh, Trump defeated it's the Hillary exact same yeah. number. It's the exact same number with an additional probably four to five million popular vote. Margin. Yeah. I mean, again, this is seven of eight mm-hmm. uh, elections in a well, row where the popular election has gone Democrat. Yeah, sure. Well, here's the thing that, too, I mean, it, it's a little bit disorienting because the coverage got dragged out and because they, they you know, made such mm-hmm. a, a huffing and puffing about counting every vote. It seems like this was a really close election down to the wire. This wasn't a particularly close decision at the end. No. It felt close, but this wasn't really close. Like, when the numbers prove out, I mean, he no. pretty, pretty soundly, soundly defeated him. If we, well, you've said it a million times. If we had known mm-hmm. on Tuesday more about those Philadelphia ballots that we weren't allowed to look at, this would have been over on Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> if, they had, if they had been allowed, I mean, the GOP state legislature shot themselves in the foot. We don't have time to get into all of it here, obviously, because, you know, but... Uh, surprise, surprise, Donald Trump, unlike any president in the modern era, has not made a concession, uh, concession speech, has not called Joe Biden. Uh, doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I don't know why this is surprising to people. I don't. Is it? I think some people sort of expected his family... There's a lot of talk in the media that his family's trying to talk him down. To, like, be more graceful. When has he ever listened... When What what evidence do we ever have him listen to anybody? No, I know. Thanksgiving crybaby. Like, anybody who's surprised, I don't know what to tell you. Welcome to being awake. Congratulations on living through your coma. Uh, I don't know where My you are. My thought is, I think, if he... Someone... on he, he got 70 million votes. There's a lot of people who like Donald Trump, right? He sure. still is going to have some sort of say or influence in Republican politics going forward for at least the next little bit. Sure. I think it wouldn't, it kind of doesn't do him any favors to come out looking like an of course. asshole. Because I do think that if Almost he, nothing he does does him any favors. Right? Like yeah, this guy can true. get out of his own way. Yeah, I mean, I, I've even seen a lot of Trump supporters all over who were like, if this guy had done even anything to not openly fan the flames of discontent between people, there's a real chance that I mean, he well, would have won. That's why we saw a lot of what we saw in this election. It's a repudiation of Trump. I know a lot of people, uh, a, lot of, a lot of older people... Uh, people across like family, different stuff like that, who were Trump voters in 2016 and who have voted Republican for a lot of their life and always lean Republican, who voted for Joe Biden and they still voted for you know Claudia Tenney, whoever else it might be, but they voted Joe Biden because Trump is specifically so anomalous in the history of the United States presidency that there's a lot of people who are like, well, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. It's tiring. They are. You know, I've, I've, ta- I've seen people say this on Twitter and get a lot of pushback, right? Mm-hmm. Which is essentially like the one thing I hope from Joe Biden. And look, I'm not here to pretend that I'm going to like everything that Joe Biden does for the next not. four years. Um, but, you know... But you're not a cult. I... <laughs> like... Uh, you know, I just, I think that there is, don't you look forward to a time when it's not the only thing it feels like we talk about in this country? Like, the only discussion we ever have is Donald Trump, like, 90% of the time? Well, that's a choice. I mean, that's a choice we'll make, because, like, everybody's, I, we're not, nobody's forcing anybody to have any conversations. It's harder to ignore someone when they hold a position of power, though. For sure. Do you know what I'm saying? For like, sure, true. he can continue to rant and rave on Twitter now, but it doesn't mean anything the way it did well, one of the things, one of the things that I thought, um, one of the things I like quite a bit too is, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about Trump and all that stuff, certainly. But I, some of the other goons that we're going to lose from the White House, the Stephen Millers, the Betsy DeVoses of the world, yes. the the Bill Bars of the world, you know what I mean? Like all of these, just absolute trash people, the Jared Kushners of the world, all these folks like that. It's going to be nice to have professionals in the government again. Yes. I mean. Call it what you will, and a lot of people that own it, they'll be like, oh, you know, we voted for him because he'd be a disruptor, he'd burn down the system, mm-hmm. and all these accelerationists and all these people who are, like, depressed but don't realize it, that kind of thing. 
these people are all saying, like, yeah, he's going to dismantle it. At the end of the day, the damage that's been done to the government, the dismantling and putting, you know, firing people and having resignations and all these different government agencies just hollowed out, like the State Department being a shell of itself, we can get back and fight back on some of that stuff and at least have a competent administration, no matter what else, going forward, which is going to feel like a nice change, especially for somebody like me who's always spent way too much time paying attention to and worrying about politics, you know, since I was a kid. I saw a good uh, Twitter account and it was accidentally left-wing and it was someone posting mm. a tweet and it was like biden's gonna undo in four months what trump did in four years and everyone was like yeah <laughs> yeah i hope so there's i, I mean so. when it comes to like executive orders and reversing <laughs> things and putting people back in there's a lot of that but when you start talking about a lot of the more um soft damage in the right term but some of the more abstract damage you know what i mean the damage to the faith in institutions and you know polarization of the country and that kind of stuff um yeah i i, I really do hope Somewhere along the way that this leads to, I guess not normal, but a more muted political discussion than we've had in the last four years. My concern with that is I think that a lot of people who supported Trump are going to lose their minds about this. Of and course. it's going to be, it's are. never going to end. Yeah, you, you, right. you can, you're, you're never going to be able to get all of them. I mean, but that's, and you're right, that does hint to, because like we had talked about this before we came on, we talked about it a bit when we started, like, for as much as I know what I want in my heart, mm-hmm. I'm aware that the way forward is not to hold the dunk contest, so to speak. Yeah, no, I... I With anybody, you know what I mean? Like, you've got to... It's... Allow yourself a little time to enjoy yourself, certainly. But let's not spend forever. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, to to be fair, it's been, what, like 48 hours? That's what I'm saying, you know So, that's what I'm saying, you know, like, it's it's been 48 hours, we're here, we'll see, and we've got to prove out and get people... I mean, a lot of stuff that Biden said in one of his many acceptance speeches he had to do because they dragged this thing out. Yeah, wild. <laughs> um, just every day, like, well, I know I'm going to win, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but the the talk of healing, you know what I mean? The talk of healing, because whether you voted for Trump or you didn't vote for Trump, he's your guy. You cannot come to me and tell me that he did anything to promote unity across the the. Mm-hmm. American population and you can say oh well he was being mean because people were being mean to him and like oh they were picking on him they never get all that stuff whatever aside you're the president people are always gonna have shit to say about you so that's irrelevant but like never ever did he push a notion of we are all one American people together and try to bring and heal people back together so yeah maybe it won't work maybe some people will stay mad but at least we'll be fucking trying yeah yeah, I think, you know? and that's and that's the thing. You know, I've seen a lot of people say like, "I can't believe that Biden's the guy who won this." And I'm like, "No, I think he's the only guy who could have won it." Like, yeah. he, in hindsight, yeah, because you believe left wing memes that you see on Twitter about Joe Biden. That's why you yeah, can't believe it. Yeah. But like, there's a reason. Uh, so everything. I, I didn't really know where else we want to put this. I guess this is also just like shout out to the headline writers. Uh, a lot of people saw on Saturday morning. Uh, shortly before the election was called for Joe Biden, uh, Donald Trump t- Donald Trump took to Twitter to announce that he was holding a press conference at the Four Seasons Philadelphia. This turned out to be the but wait <laughs> the Four Seasons Total Landscaping Company in Philadelphia. Uh, go back to my friends as I mentioned from the headline committee. Uh, this is from Defector. Uh, the Trump presidency ended next to a porno shop. So this, so this in Philadelphia, this Four Seasons Total Landscaping Company, Rudy Giuliani held a press conference out back behind the loading dock, is in between, yes, an adult uh, porn shop and a crematorium on the other side, yeah. which is actually hilarious. And they were out there, like, rickety with some boxes. Sad, man. Like, is, uh, did these are your people? Is this your king? Come on. <laughs> 
Come uh, on. Here's some real journalism from my man Dan McQuaid at Defector. Uh, he went in to Fantasy Island uh, Adult Bookstore to talk to the owner, uh, mm. a gentleman yeah, named, named Zaref Jacob, uh, who was working the desk. Uh, and they asked him what his opinion about this all was. This is so stupid, he told me. They lost. He knows they lost Philadelphia, and he's losing other states as well. I never understand why people like him. I know him very well. When I used to be an architect, he was building Taj Mahal. He screwed a lot of people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people went bankrupt because he didn't pay. I was like, damn, even this porn shop guy. <laughs> Bro, everybody knows. Like, he, the, uh, the majority of the American people never supported the guy. And, like, that's, uh, you know, I'd go ahead. No, that's all I get on. I'll go ahead. I just, I, I just thought this was, I think it's a really interesting, I think this visual, I'm sure it was a mistake. Like, I don't know all the full story. Like, I'm sure they thought they booked the right place and didn't. And were like, well, fuck it, we can't go back now. Who like, knows, yeah. You know what I mean? But um, I feel like this is sort of the perfect ending well i think i think this really goes to underline because like a lot of people i've heard a lot of people saying you know saying wild stuff like oh well it's going to be contested and this is going to be a mess for a long time and there's going to be the courts and this and that and we says that he was full of shit whether they know it or not full stop period we're not going to entertain delusional garbage i mean in order to go you can't just say i contest the elections like michael scott declaring bankruptcy on the <laughs> office right saying i i'm contesting well great you want to have a recount? Cool. We'll count them again. Yeah, and if you want to bring some, the courts just can't come in and be like, oh, I'm intervening. You have to bring an actual case to the court. I mean, the Trump lawyers have been thrown out seven or eight different courses across uh, courts across all different yeah. states trying to bring them to state and federal legislatures. Um, I'm sorry, judiciary. But like, also, you've got uh, this. This really just is the microcosm of the Trump team's legal strategy to try to decry election fraud out here in the parking lot of the landscaping company. And if you can't see, at this point, the Emperor has no clothes, I, I gotta think that's willful. Shout out to Brian Curtis from The Ringer, who made this amazing analogy, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Mm. You ever watch a James Bond movie when you're a kid? Uh, I, no, but... You understand the idea of a James yeah, yeah. Bond movie? <laughs> you know how, like, it when the villain has James Bond in the trap? Yeah. And he's like, so, Mr. Bond, I'm going to use this Take laser some time to kill and explain you. This to you. But yeah. first, I'm going to tell you the plans of Operation. That's what Trump's done for two weeks in the media is no matter what happens with this election, it's going to be rigged. He essentially, um, to use one of his phrases, primed the pump mm. for people to be ready for all of this when it Not came out. Not for weeks, for years. For years. For years. <laughs> he said this before the 2016 yeah. election. Yeah. If I lose, it's rigged. That's what he said. Those are the man's words. Which he's said about almost anything that's ever happened yeah. to him since 1981. <laughs> I mean, Vince King Crybaby, like, he's a loser. You want to be a loser, too? Stick with your guy. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so, speaking of sticking with your guy, let's talk about Lindsey Graham. Mm. Oh, Lindsey Graham uh, said out here, this is from The Hill today, uh, Lindsey Graham warned that if President Trump conceded before the 2020 presidential election was over, Republicans would never be able to elect another president from their party again. Mm. What are your thoughts on this statement before I go a little further? His belief is that if Trump gives up, the Republicans will never get another candidate across? Is that what he's really thinking? No. <laughs> no. No. What? Are, what? No. Uh, his claim is that... They're trying to take over. He's, he's dying. I mean, he's dying in the wool. He's sold a soul to Donald Trump. I... Was... This is the same guy who said before the 2016 election that if we nominate Donald Trump, ours, our party will be destroyed. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was way out against Trump. Then they went, they literally went and played golf one day and he came out and was a big supporter. He was like, you know what? We play golf. He's a great guy now. And now he's been one of his staunch supporters. No, that's that's bullshit red meat for the, the Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram 
crowd. Uh, on the other side of the coin, former President George W. Bush, the only living Republican ex-president, extended his congratulations earlier this weekend to mm. jo- uh, Joe, Bo- uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, uh, saying he prays for his success and he pledges to help in any way that he can. Though we mm. have political differences, I know Joe Biden to be a good man who has won this opportunity to lead and unify our country, uh, George W. Bush says. Mm. I mean... George W. Bush still running through that redemption tour in his career. He's trying. People are happy to have him, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, but I think it's interesting to see the response between what is essentially a current senator, right, and mm. then a former politician who doesn't really need to cowtail to people at this point in time in his life, yeah. right, can have an opinion, and he doesn't give a shit what people have to say about it necessarily. Well, and I think I think it's that's something you've seen, too, you know, when this thing got called for all the, you know, Oh, we're not going to know for a long time. It's going to take forever. It's going to be, you know, we, we got to go to the courts and legislation. I think um, there was a lot of waking up because like once it called and like once you start to see George W. Bush, even a lot of the Republicans in Congress and people that work in the White House and foreign leaders and everything like that, uh, it's just kind of like, no, no, man, we're not we're not doing this. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, we're not going to indulge this delusion just so we don't hurt your feelings. You don't have a temper tantrum at us on Twitter. I think that there's a lot of... I think it goes to our next thing. And again, we're not going to talk much about Brindisi Tenney here. It looks like Tenney... Looks like Tenney beat him. Beat him. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll wait to hear anymore, and we'll get into a longer discussion about that. But I think that the Tenney win sort of validates that people are willing to vote uh, red on their downstate ballot, mm-hmm. but not necessarily as a... Like, a, as an appro- approval of Trump. People were willing to vote Republican locally yeah. and still say... I'll take Biden nationally. Yeah. And I think that was a bigger surprise to Republicans than expected. Mm. And also to Democrats, I think, too. I mm. think a lot of Democrats expected to come out of this just winning the Senate and the House and dominating this election. I don't know if that was ever really in the cards for us. No? Mm. I don't know. I don't think it was, necessarily. I, I mean, we still might. We still there's might. Two, there's two runoffs. Yeah, the Georgia, Georgia runoffs. I don't, yeah, I don't... Yeah. That we can, we can save that for... I, I didn't want to get too far into stuff that was... Still in conversation. Yeah, you want to do the Senate, yeah. we can do the Senate. If yeah. you don't, we can save it. Yeah, we can save it. Um, okay. I will say, uh, the one report is uh, Melania seems to be uh, trying to convince uh, her husband to Everybody concede is. defeat. Everybody is. Um, again, I do think there's some political strategy for him. If someone could explain it to him, he would actually listen to about six, like, walking away and still having a voice that certain people would listen to. Mm-hmm. My question is this. If he walked out mm-hmm. and didn't make a scene, would people walk away from him? Would his supporters walk away from him if he didn't make a big scene? Is there like, there's no walking it back for him now. I I just, you don't, it's so, it's so out of character for the person that I don't even know, like how you discuss it as, as a real thing. He's more likely to go in there and be like, look, they cheated this and that. I can't go. I'm going to leave because this whole thing isn't fair and I'm going to go start my own TV network or whatever. But like expecting him to leave quietly and just be quiet. I, yeah. Yeah, maybe if he did that, his people would leave him, but I don't know. Well, I think that would be one of the few things that would actually make people on his side walk away from him. If he did just be like, you know what, I'm, I'm walking away. I don't agree with it, but that's it. You know what I mean? what Fox News tells him to do. Yeah. Uh, according to the Los Angeles Times, the big winner of politics uh, of the election this week was businesses which were selling food, alcohol, and marijuana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These were the three big businesses. Uh, sales of alcohol... In Washington, D.C., rose 133%. Mm. Uh, in New York, it was 110%. And then another 35 in Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, 
so it does look like people were really digging in to watch this election. Have you looked at anything in terms of like how many people were watching election coverage? I have no idea. Oh God, no. I'm sure you, the numbers were. Bro, massive. you know where I stand about talk like learning about ratings. No, I know. I think it's like, just I, I just yeah, wonder. No, I didn't look it up. If I hear about it, I'll hear about it. I'm sure. Without guessing, my assumption would be that it was very high. Right. It always is. Yeah, it always is. Uh, speaking of uh, marijuana, it does seem that across the country, uh, 11 states, uh, sorry, Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota join the ranks of 11 other states to legalize marijuana. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oregon, which had legalized marijuana already in 2014, went a step farther and decriminalized mm-hmm. all illicit drugs, uh, which makes the possession of small amounts of cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, and other drugs a civil violation subject mm-hmm. to a $100 fine, but not mm-hmm. jail time. So I think it's also interesting to see a lot of these progressive, quote-unquote, ideas getting broad-based support across the country, even in states that aren't necessarily progressive. Because people are, people are a lot of people are more progressive than they think they are. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about that all the time. Like, there's, there's a lot of people who, for specific ideas, I mean, you can sit and explain on a one-to-one basis different ideas people end up having a lot more progressive ideas. I mean, I think it's a it's a complete failure of the Democrat Party that, yes. that, number one, that legalization of marijuana is an essential campaign plank. It shows, I mean, it's winning in all of these states Easy in win. all of these places. Yeah. You know what I mean? we got to get past this reefer madness garbage from the 80s. And specifically in New York State, I think it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that we haven't at this point because you talk about all the farmland we have here, all the infrastructure we have for the stuff like that, the dispersal we have of, you know, the, the I-90 corridor through the state and... With how close we are to all these other places, and we're seeing, you know, New Jersey and Connecticut and Massachusetts, various areas starting to get in this. And like, why be late to the party? I mean, we're New York State for God's sakes. You yeah, know, you so like, we should be. I, it should be. We should be with California. The way California yeah. treats it should be the way that we treat it. California uh, was the first state to legalize marijuana for medical use. This happened in 1996. Uh, it, was, it wasn't actually until 2006 that South Dakota and Mississippi followed suit. Now there are 35 states and four territories that allow the use of medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it just seems like an easy win, right? Like somebody, mm-hmm. some politician is just got to look at this and be like, no one wants these points. No one wants to score this dunk, this basket. It's right here. Just take mm-hmm. it. Take the shot. Uh, all right. Let's, um, let's move on. Uh, and to our last discussion about the man who did concede the election, Kanye West. Mm. Uh, Kevin, I want to ask you, this isn't really an article, but the number is out. If you had to guess, and I don't know if you know already, how many total votes across the country do you think Kanye West actually got in this election? Um, a good 50,000 at least. See, I thought it would be higher than that. He collected just 60,000 votes out of an estimate of a total of 160 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not saying that that... I feel like the, he's a pretty big celebrity, right? I feel like I could think of other celebrities who could get sixty thousand votes. Who he's a very you know what I'm saying? he's a very well known name, but he's not specifically beloved. He doesn't have any real following. He's been embarrassing himself for a long yeah. time now. He hasn't put out good music. Like nobody really could the rock do nobody fucks with Kanye. Rock could do rock could do way better. He get at least a hundred thousand votes. <laughs> rock, he's not a, he's not an unmedicated bipolar person going out and acting nuts on television. Yeah, the Rock could do much better. He seems like a, a competent adult. You know what I mean? This isn't a, this isn't a real thing. And it's not. Furthermore, it's not twenty eleven anymore. Kanye is not what Kanye used. It's to true. Be. I just I, I guess for people. I know that he's not, but sixty thousand seemed like weirdly low for someone who is so. 
who did you think would vote for? I mean, he wasn't on the ballot. In, in a lot states. of places. I guess that's true. Yeah, he if, wasn't yeah, on the ballot. No, I guess you're right. Who would vote for him? I mean, this is... People trolls. Aren't, pe- people aren't really... The trolls are Trump voters. Yeah. People aren't really fucking around in 2020. I mean, I think people who went to the ballot box may be known that people aren't really playing games. The young voters, certainly, who showed up showed that they weren't playing around. Uh, we're going a little long, so I won't get into... Uh, we were going to talk a little bit about Facebook and Twitter sort of deploying their mm. countermeasures to Donald Trump mm-hmm. and his conversations and his falsehoods mm-hmm. on Twitter. I guess I'll really have to say I'm surprised it took this long. <laughs> they didn't do anything. Yeah. Not the, yeah. Twitter sort of stepped up. Facebook didn't do anything. It's a joke. Come for that ass next. Uh, Twitter did permanently suspend uh, former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon this week mm. uh, after he suggested on t- Thursday that Dr. Anthony Fauci and FBI Director Christopher Wray should be beheaded. Yeah, that's what so, he said. He's uh, also out on bail for defrauding uh, Trump voters for the build the wall thing. Yeah. So absolute human garbage. Yeah, yeah. the worst. The yeah. worst. Uh, all right, let's do. Uh, let's talk a little bit about COVID because, unfortunately, uh, despite what people were telling you. Now that the election is over, uh, COVID still exists in yeah. the United States. I don't know if you guys knew this. Uh, matter of fact, there is a COVID upswing in United County. Uh, there is going to be, a, it's Monday at about 1.15 mm-hmm. by the time we discuss this. There is going to be an announcement from um, from uh, Pacenti. Am I, am I forgetting mm-hmm. his title? What's his executive? County, County executive. executive. There it is. County Executive Pacenti later today. So by the time you hear this, there might be new information. I wouldn't mm-hmm. totally be shocked if we get close down again soon enough they won't be today they'll give it a little bit of time but yeah i mean inevitably we're gonna have to i mean i i had a very narrow miss with the coronavirus i know somebody very close to me who's in quarantine right now has been for two weeks luckily that person is feeling pretty good you know what i mean not too too sick and good and good health all that stuff but uh i came very close myself you know and luckily i didn't develop it i didn't get as exposed as this person did but this person amongst uh their you know where they're at and their their network and you know workplace various Mm -hmm. things like that there's a lot of people. I've been hearing a lot of people coming up and people I know who work in healthcare are saying we've been seeing a lot more stuff. Uh, you know, like yeah, like you said, I was told that on November 4th it would be over because it was all a hoax to, to be mean to Trump or whatever. Well, but it's... Keep, keep that in mind because we're going to get to that in a second. Okay. <laughs> but but I mean... Want... Okay. No, go ahead. I'm going to cut you off. No, I'm sorry. What do you think? No, I, uh, I think it is, though, it's interesting to see because, you know, even if Biden... When all this gets put down on paper and they actually, like, make it official... It's still going to be until January. So a question for me is, like, what happens in this essential lame duck period between... It's terrible. Is it going to be... Like, I can't imagine that we're going to get anything done at The opposite. The The opposite. opposite. The opposite. Yeah, bad things are going to happen. Oh, God. Bad things are going to happen. All right, so let's talk... Smash and break everything they can. I mean, we're out just right now. Like, they're not... Whatever, go ahead. Well, this is from uh, former CDC uh, emergency response leader uh, Cyrus uh, Shashbar. If you want to have a better 2021 then maybe the rest of 2020 needs to be an investment in driving the virus down. Otherwise, we're looking at thousands and thousands of deaths this winter. I got to say, I have family members who really want to do Christmas and are already, we're already having this discussion about, like, I think this is... Capital S stupid. It's they'll, a see, they'll see when it gets closer. So yeah. we'll let them pretend they're going to do it now, but no, that's not happening. It's uh, not happening at all. So for all the folks who are out there saying, like, see, see... Uh, it was announced earlier this morning that Pfizer is coming out and saying they have early analysis showing a COVID-19 vaccine that is more than 90% effective. Mm. Uh, I'll put it this way. I don't see this as like, oh, see, they were hiding the cure, which I've seen a lot of people talk about well, already. But those are people who want to be disingenuous and not acknowledge that the, the Pfizer and these companies said that by the end of October or mid-November they should be ready to go, and they said this in the middle of summer. So toss mm. that right in the garbage the rest of your shit. Um, I mean, this probably still doesn't mean we're going to get a COVID 
an actual COVID vaccine released to people by the end mm-hmm. of the year. Uh, but I mean, this is good news. I feel this. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I think we're allowed to su- we're allowed to feel good about good news now, right? Why, Which I think. Yeah, why would we not? We're allowed to you know, like you're allowed to feel however you want to feel. <laughs> yeah. Um, of, yeah, but. Uh, because of this today, global stocks are rising across the country. I don't know what that means. I know that people said that nothing this, for you. You got stocks? I don't have any stocks. Nothing. I know people said that the stocks were going to hate Joe Biden, though. And that seems to not be the case. Liars so. said that. <laughs> Let's talk about an actually really sad story today. Uh, earlier this uh, earlier yesterday, it was announced at the age of eighty that beloved television host Alex Trebek, who we've talked about millions of times on this show about how much we love Jeopardy, mm. passed away in his home. Uh, from after a protracted battle with cancer. Um, Super sad news. We all knew it was coming. I mean, but yeah. still sad to see it happen. Trebek filed through a full year despite what he called massive, uh, massive attacks of Great Depression, which made him wonder if it was really worth fighting it, uh, because he realized that giving up on his life would be a betrayal to his wife, God, and other cancer patients, is his quote. Gotta respect that. And furthermore, shout out to him for going a year, because I don't know how much you know about it specifically, but... Pancreatic cancer is generally considered one of the gnarliest forms of cancer. Like once they find it, you're pretty done. It's normally very fast. Mm-hmm. So to be able to go for a year and work to solidify and preserve your legacy in that time is is great and amazing for him. And his family will appreciate that and and be glad they had that for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to share this real quick. Is this from TMZ? And uh, I think they did a really nice, interesting story here about this. Uh, so initially in May 2019 was when he announced that his the cancer had shrunk a little bit. So there was initial thought that maybe he was going to get better. Mm. Uh, and he had a joke about this earlier this year, which I thought was amazing. Uh, he announced that he was going to continue. He said he had signed the host uh, signed to host the show through 2020. He said, truth be told, I have to get through this because under the terms of my contract, I still have at least two more years left. I can't quit the show for two years, so I, I have to get better. Mm. So just, yeah, just yeah. that sort of like, his sort of like, I'm just, I'm going to keep doing my thing. A, a dry wit and stoicism, yeah. man. I got a lot of respect for that. Uh, for folks who didn't know, uh, Jeopardy is not the first show he hosted, going all the way back to 1961 on the mm. Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. He gained fame for a high school quiz show called Reach for the Top. Also, an NBC show called The Wizard of Odds, a show called High Rollers, before finally landing the gig at Jeopardy. We've said it before, we never did a game show thing. Did Jeopardy, Jeopardy would have won, right? As our best game show of all time? Yeah. It's probably hard. I guess the only other one yeah. is Wheel, which I don't like as no, much. No, that's not even, that's no. no Wheel's no, no. popular, but it's not the same. We have Wheel's on television, but if you're doing best game show, no, it's not even, Wheel's not even, Wheel's not in consideration for the top, maybe mm-hmm. top five? Maybe top five. Huh. I like your I like your take. I'm not Maybe saying it's a hot take. Five. I just like it. Maybe uh, top five. So there's a lot of really great articles about Alex Trebek. I've seen all over the place mm-hmm. today. Do yourself a favor. Read about him. He seemed like a wonderful guy. Super interesting. Yeah. Super interesting character. Uh, this week's big energy. Uh, earlier this week, a woman was arrested for going into a Chick Fil A and demanding free food. While claiming she was an FBI agent. Was she an FBI agent? She is not. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> even when the police... Oh, look at her. Yeah, she looks, she looks like an FBI agent, doesn't she? Uh, according to the police, even when the officers arrived, the woman apparently continued to claim she was still a federal agent. She big energy. Like witch. Yeah, big energy. <laughs> big I gotta, energy. I was going to kick out when somebody really commits to the bit like that. It's like, no, no, I'm going to tell the FBI. Like, oh, wow, you don't know me? I'm in the FBI. How embarrassing for you. Like, just... <laughs> Riding it all the way down. Uh, shout out to... I hope that lady got her chicken sandwich. 
I feel like I, I want it in and my head. Fine, to be fair. I want it in my head to be the scene from Liar Liar where Jim Carrey's yelling, I'm Jose Canseco, but mm. they're pulling her out of there. I'm an FBI agent! I just, I'm the FBI! I just picture Keanu Reeves in Point Break yelling, I'm an FBI agent! I'm an FBI And, uh, oh boy. I, I, ho- I had struggles uh, making sure this source is true, so if I'm wrong, mm. I'll apologize. But for folks who turned in, this is a quick uh, farewell. I don't even know. We have a category for this. Like, it's not necessarily thanks. I what hate is it. it. I don't know what it is. So uh, I can't tell you if you have a On Saturday night, people who turned in to Fox News to watch Justice Janine Pirro were, uh, were surprised to find that her show has been suspended by Fox News yeah. over her coverage of President Donald Trump. She's trying to go in there and lie. So in case you missed it when people were talking about the news like shout out this to, for an hour. Shout out to talk about a one percenter. <laughs> shout out to great friend of the podcast, Cecily Strong. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's I think the Fox News coverage of everything has been really interesting. Um, you know, they're the first they're the first place to call Arizona. And it really put them in a spot where they really couldn't call anything else because they did not want to be the network. The ones, yeah, yeah. The ones to call it. Mm -hmm. When in reality, they probably could have called it before anybody else if they had really wanted to. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I think think it's going to be really interesting to watch the relationship between Fox News and the Trump administration in the next three months to see how many, does it splinter, do half these people leave to go work Mm. for some amorphous Trump-based news media in the future, right? Are they going to, no? Why would... I mean, if they were insane, right. or if they had already made so much money that they didn't care, like maybe a guy like Sean Hannity, who literally gets paid fifty something million dollars a year to work for Fox News, but no, why? Because he's you're going to go work for Trump, who he never pays anybody. You're just going to go not make any. What money can he guarantee you at this nebulous startup, Trump TV, when you're getting paid <laughs> millions of dollars by a long-term established Rupert Murdoch multi-billion-dollar corporation? No. You know, it's like going to work for the Michael Scott paper company. Yeah, it's like, well, no, you're not going to go do that. It only works for Pam. And I guess Ryan. Mm. I, I guess they, get, they didn't get their jobs back. That, that, didn't make, that didn't make sense to me in that show, by the way. How is Dunder Mifflin just like, yeah, screw it? That's how you can tell Dunder Mifflin was going under. <laughs> because they're like, yeah, we'll just buy up the Michael Scott paper company. It's true, because he was making just enough noise and taking just their clients. They had to. Mm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, That's leverage. Corporate interest, baby. <laughs> so, adios, Janine. We'll catch you. In the future, probably on like Newsmax or OANN oh, or something. Yeah, she'll be back. Like she'll be back. Uh, all right, let's get to. Did you see they got her on cameo though? <laughs> no. Oh, so you... they. So after her thing, I guess somebody went on cameo, and was like, they got her to record a message to their friend D, and so she's on there. She's like, D, I heard you just got laid off. I heard you're going to have to leave your house. And like somebody's like, my friend D is going through a really tough time. Can you give him words of encouragement? <laughs> and she read the whole thing with complete self, like lack of self-awareness. And it's on the internet of her reading to D about who just got fired and evicted. And you'll do better next time. And that's on the internet if you want to see it. Uh, I have already retweeted it. Cameo uh, problem. Cameo's a problem. Cameo's a big problem. Uh, <laughs> These people, they're too old. They I'm going to throw this out there. Again, I'm not as big on the, the dunk contest as a lot of people are out there. I will say, I retweeted it. It's definitely worth watching the video of Stone Cold mm-hmm. Steve Austin as Philadelphia Flyers mascot Gritty. I really it, like the Avengers one. The Avengers one was the really Avengers good. Endgame one was really like... That one got me. Yeah, yeah. that was good. I like that. The wrestling one got me because of the way it played out. Yeah. Once Philadelphia shows up mm-hmm. and the crowd and pops. And it's Gritty, yeah. Oh my god, what a moment. 
What a moment. Oh, man. Yeah. All right, let's get to this week's interview. I think that's all we really have for politics this week. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, yeah. I wonder what the next few weeks of putting the show together looks like. I'll say, well... Please, yeah. Um, but I, uh, the one thing, the one thing, I'll final note. If yeah, I of course. No, please, please. Is the most encouraging thing about it. No matter who you voted for, no matter what you think, uh, no matter what you believe, whatever. The most encouraging thing I saw is a, a historic level of voter turnout and percentage of voters going out to vote. We've seen more people going out to vote yeah. in elections than we ever have. We've seen so much civic engagement and people interested in not only national races but their local races their regional anybody who's ever listened to the show knows that that's something Mm -hmm. that i talk about all the time um let's hope that we can keep growing that trend because the more people that vote the better it is you know for the health of our democracy so that's really encouraging and i think you gotta agree that's an encouraging thing to see no matter where you stand or what perspective you come from so Shout out to everybody that voted, um, and keep up the keep up that same energy. Civic engagement, bro. Yo, civic engagement. Uh, all right, so Group let's economics. let's get into uh, this week's interview. And this week, uh, I'm talking to my uh, my good friend Kyle Riker. Uh, Kyle Riker is part of the Sustaining Utica Project, which is a multimedia project uh, in which Utica College journalism students examined how locally owned food businesses and farms have been affected by the COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, Many local eateries featuring farm and table menus use locally grown food from farms surrounding the county. And throughout the semester, uh, Kyle and his crew have visited restaurants and farms to understand how this supply chain was impacted. You can go to SustainingUtica.com or follow them on Facebook. Or you can follow their podcast, which started their first episode yesterday at Sustaining Utica. I'll put all the links in. Uh, But again, really excited to talk to Kyle. Uh, He's a good friend of mine. And this should be a really fun interview I'm really looking forward to. What's up, man? You know, just uh, living the dream, really. <laughs> uh, I stepped my impromptu uh, recording studio, which has been turned into a family room uh, with all sorts of, you know, games and stuff. Had my DJ equipment in it, but now I've kind of retaken it back as a uh, podcasting recording studio. <laughs> Well, listen, uh, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, And for folks who don't know, uh, I've known Kyle going back for a few years through Utica College. And uh, just to embarrass you right off the bat, uh, I'll let you know I've already put you over on this podcast in the next segment, just talking about what a resource you were for a lot of graduate students like myself who had like real world on the moment questions. And I don't think there was anybody across the board for students I talked to who trusted anyone to talk to more than you. Thank you, Sam. That, that means a lot. And I'm really, my full-time job at Educator Prep is really important to me. I'm really dedicated to make sure that uh, teacher candidates get through the process of certification and, you know, find the job that's right for them. And I, I really do put every effort into to making that happen. Uh, and if you don't mind, I'm going to share a quick story for the folks out there. Um, I was finishing up what's called my teaching portfolio, and I'm sure the listeners are familiar. I've talked about it a million times. And uh, for some reason, it was about 1130 at night. On a, I didn't even know if it was like a Sunday. It was a weird night of the week. And I had this overwhelming concern that I had missed the deadline. Don't know why. 
unsure where it came from, but I freaked out and I called you at your personal phone at 1130 at night. And I don't think I felt bad. You were so confused and so concerned, but I do appreciate it. And I'm sure that like, those are weird moments that happen for a lot of people. And I, I, I hope someone else has done that besides me in my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, since I'm working from home because of the pandemic, uh, my cell phone is linked with my office line. So it has made the connection between my personal and my, my uh, work life pretty, pretty entangled. Uh, that said, that, that was definitely a hilarious moment. I was actually watching uh, like a Den Company show or something. Yeah. And then, you know, just my, my phone blows up and I'm like, who the hell is calling me this late? And, you know, it happens. And I was happy to help. I mean, I had a few beers in me at that point. So I hope I was uh, coherent. Well, I feel I feel bad because this is like a, a thing that teachers can feel because I can't tell you how many times over the course of working at Young Scholars where I would get phone calls at like 11 o'clock on a Sunday night from my students being like, can you help me with this homework assignment that's due tomorrow? I'm like, how did you get this number? I'm watching <laughs> I'm watching Breaking Bad or something. Right? Uh, so, Kyle, uh I do want to thank you for coming on to the pod. Uh, and because we didn't really have a chance to prep beforehand because of the Zoom call format of this, I'll just remind you, uh, or I'll let you know if you've never done this before, this show is broken down into three separate parts. We do um, sort of your background information. We'll talk a bit about your current project, uh, Sustaining Utica, which I'm really fascinated by, and I'm sure our listeners will as well. And then we do our lightning round questions at the end of the show. Uh, but to start all the way back, and just to let you know, I am a history major, so I did a little bit of research, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, sure. Kyle, you were born in Poland, New York? Born and raised. <laughs> okay. Uh, so here's, here's what I learned about Poland during my brief research. So right now, the population of Poland, New York is about 500 people? That sounds about right. I mean, yeah. Are, are you counting like horses and sheep and things like that, too? <laughs> I, was, I was not. Uh, and it was also briefly called Maple Valley and Russia Flats when it was originally settled in the 1800s. I don't know if that's. I, I did not know that. We, we have a whole bunch of, of other uh, villages and towns that are named after countries up this way. Yeah. Uh, Norway and Russia. So it's not surprising, but that's that's interesting. I did not I did not know that. Uh, and just so you know, when I'm looking to my left, I have my notes over here. I'm not ignoring you. Um, sure. <laughs> but Kyle, you were born and raised in uh, in Poland, New York. I always, I'm, I'm always curious when I talk to people about this, you know, growing up in a very small, uh, close-knit community, how did you sort of respond to that as a kid? Did you enjoy the closeness or were you sort of, did you have that wanderlust? Did that smallness make you want to go someplace larger? Uh, I've always been kind of a small town uh, person, but I mean, I didn't really necessarily fit in with like the popular crowd and stuff as, as, a, uh, as an adolescent. Uh, but I did, I was a, kind of like a band kid. So I was okay. always in room and I was interested in guitar and you know alternative music and stuff like that. So I kind of carved out my own little niche. And after high school, I can't say that I've kept in touch with very many people. I mean, I have a few close friends that have, have survived through. Um, but really when I kind of blossomed and, and went a little wild was, was my first experience in college. Uh, so I went to Pratt uh, at, at the Munson campus and uh you know, art, art, uh, art uh, school was wild. I'll just say that it changed, it changed a lot of perspectives that I had. Um, I didn't necessarily learn that much about art necessarily, but it really was a, a opening, you know, it really opened me up socially. Uh, so, oh, sure. yeah. So, and, and then I did move to Florida for a little bit. I uh, was pursuing a recording arts uh, degree 
uh, through full sail. So I moved to Florida uh, for really? a little while. Had a lot more fun down there again, and then kind of uh, went, you know, got homesick and, and came back to New York State and been working and just chipping away at getting a bachelor's done. And I'll be done in May 2021. So I'm like, this close i can't uh, i can't let this one go by without following it up i don't know if you've noticed this on the shirt that i'm wearing uh, is a logo that says new japan professional wrestling because i'm a huge professional wrestling nerd right i have been since i was a kid uh full sail university is home for people who don't know this what used to be the home of nxt professional wrestling it's like a subsidiary of wwe so is it i've I've always been kind of curious about like full sail as an institution i've seen it for years people talk about it for like video game design production stuff did you enjoy your experience there i've i've kind of heard mixed opinions from people over the years i i did i think it was a little bit more than a bit off more than i could chew uh being that i was young and stupid and more interested in partying than i was in academics at that point amen (laughs) <laughs> no. Um, and it's an accelerated program. So you get out of there in theory in something like 16 months with a bachelor's degree. Um, so I was, I lived about, I want to say about a mile or so away from campus. So, I mean, I had like 4am labs and things like that. So I'd, you know, get up and walk to campus and I kind of got sick of that after a while. I don't know. Um, it, it was a mixed experience for me. Um, again, I was I was kind of a little um, starry eyed and thinking that uh, DJing and and uh, you know that I was going to become a professional DJ at that oh, point, yeah. which which actually did kind of happen later in life. Um, I, I fell into kind of doing the wedding, uh, birthday parties, and, and that type of thing. But I really thought I was going to be like the next like uh, Tiesto or uh, Steve Aoki for a little while there. Uh, so that was kind of what drove me down to to uh, to full sail into Florida. And, you know, I, I learned a lot about sound and, and recording at that point, um, but but not enough for me to, to, to stick it through. Um, I did not know that about the wrestling. That's fascinating. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's a really nice little little college, though. I mean, from from what I remember. Well, I think it's really fascinating. You know, listeners of this pod will know that I grew up as a punk rocker kid. So even in college, you know, I did the MV thing and then I was playing in a punk band and then I dropped out of school for years because I did think I was going to be a professional musician. Like I was going to sing and play guitar in punk rock bands for the rest of my life. And then, you know, life happens and things change. But um, I always I always find it interesting. And I don't know if there's some sort of, uh, you know, uh, connection between people who go to education based fields uh, and people who are creative types. I don't know why there's like a poll for, cre- I don't know if it's just the interaction you get, because even in being in front of a classroom scratches a little bit of that itch that I used to get from being in stage. Sure, there's, I was just about to say that there's a little bit of a perfor- performance element based yeah. there. You have to um, keep the, the uh, audience's attention. So I think make a pretty valid point that, you know, there's some crossover there. And also thinking outside the box with lesson planning and, and getting to some students that might be struggling. I, I think that's, that's valid. Uh, the reason I, I personally got into educator prep and why I was attracted to the, to the position uh, was because my mom uh, is a retired K-6 uh, reading teacher. Thanks. So I, you know, going back to Poland and stuff, um, even though, you know, I was not like in the popular crowd or whatever, um, I, I, you know, my mom worked there. Yeah. So you know, the, the big thing was if I were to get written up, it wasn't like, you know, you're going to the principal's office. It's like, I'm going to go tell Mrs. Riker and your ass is going to be grounded. Yeah. You know, so that was, it was kind of a different, uh, you know, just a different 
experience for me, <laughs> but, but that's really where I'm rooted with, with, uh, you know, educator prep and, and kind of wanting to be involved in it in the way that I am. This is where my Facebook research takes a turn. So when I went to do my research, uh, it says here that you are studying general public relations currently. Yes. So my question for you is a stupid question to ask, but uh, what would you, what was the plan for general public relations? What would you like to do going forward with public relations? Cause I'm sure that that's a degree that people are interested in who listen to this pod. Oh, sure. You know, I think I'd like to stay at the college to be honest with you. Yeah. If opportunity comes up to move over to marketing and communications, something mm -hmm. along those lines. I think that I have about eight years or more of experience that I can kind of uh, draw upon to, to put on my application for that. That said, uh, what I'm trying to do right now is kind of solidify my role as the Dick Moon 2.0 and, and pre people <laughs> won't get that outside of this out, outside of this conversation but somebody will <laughs> i've been handed some of the responsibility of student teaching placement coordination and i just need to get my degree done to kind of you know have the credentials basically um and that does involve a lot of public relations a lot of uh, communications with school districts and this and that and building administrators and and not pissing any of the wrong people off that type of thing <laughs> you know so, so, so that i could apply that there uh, but, but my interests are, are very wide. Um, I think that's why I chose PRs because it involves um, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So there's video production, there's re uh, audio recording, uh, there's graphic design and all those things I kind of know how to do to a point where I'm competent, but I'm not like really stellar or amazing at one thing. So that, that was my reasoning. Well, that's, you know, the other thing too, I've, I got, I've always think about it with the teaching, it always crossed over but right now, even, you know, with the work I've done with Mid and Utica and Handshake City and all that, you know, that's always also a really forward front facing, you know, place to be. We deal with a lot of people in the community and having the ability to sort of like communicate with people in a way that they want to talk more and be around your stuff is a weird skill that I, you know, that I think going to college and especially my time at Utica College helped me sort of hone just being in rooms with other people who have similar and different ideas. Sure. And I have to just say props to Made in Utica and Handshake City. That is just like the gold standard as far as I'm concerned with, with uh, rebuilding. Um, our, our project sustaining Utica is, is small in comparison, uh, but it was, it, it was when, I, when we uh, were discussing what type of campaign to do for this class. And everyone, we were like, well, we can do election stuff because it's right along that. Everyone's like, no, 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 <laughs> we don't want to do that. And then it, we kind of settled on food because it's this universal language that everybody understands. And it's so connected to culture and it's so unique and diverse that it was, it was just like a eureka moment in class when we landed on um, examining the local food ecosystem of the Mohawk Valley, basically. And I said, oh, well, that's perfect because I you know, have a lot of experience with, uh, with features writing with, with uh, restaurant reviews. I've done a few of those uh, over my tenure at the Tangerine uh, when I was doing layout design uh, for them. So I was all, all, all about, it. I was like, this is going to be easy. And then it uh, turns out it wasn't, <laughs> it's not, it's not been very easy, uh, especially with the podcasting, um, you know, both me and my partner, John Blasky, who are on the, the podcasting unit are working and studying remotely. Yeah. Uh, so we can't just waltz into WPNR and use any of their nice fancy recording equipment. 
Uh, so that's that's been a challenge is figuring out how to work this out where we're doing an interview and and you know we had some audio issues for episode one uh, but I feel like episode two which is going to drop I believe this Friday is much more cleaner and we're like we, we started to learn what we did wrong in the first episode and then the third one we're like oh this is going to be great like we're, it's, it's just like flows so perfectly so well, let me tell you, uh, I'm at your, this episode that you're on is uh, episode 281. And I got to tell you, I still run across weird nuanced problems, but you know, and, and not to get too behind the, the curtain here, because I'm sure that my listeners have heard me talk about this a million times. Mm. What drew me to podcasting years ago, talking back in when I was living in Brooklyn in 2007, 2008, when we first started doing like funny dunking on athletes, sports podcasting, um, you know, we, we just had to use what we had. You know, I had this Mac that I had bought to take to college with me when I went to, to Hunter, you know, and I was like, what else can this thing do for me besides do school stuff? And, you know, even to this day, like I, I could have invested much more money in doing a full studio, but honestly, like I've gotten better results in the past, just inviting people to my home, sitting them down in front of the laptop, giving them a cup of coffee and chatting them up about what's going on. And I, I've, kind of just found that works for people. I don't see a ton of reason for me to be like, oh, I need to go rent studio space. I think I think the podcasting, it's really accessible now in 2020 in a way that it wasn't when I was doing band stuff in the early 2000s. For sure. And I think I think Apple technology, Apple phones, a uh, lot. I, I did all of my voice recordings on Voice Memo and my wife who's, who's big into just listening to podcasts, uh, you know, you probably know our Siobhan Woods. Yep. Uh, uh, so, uh, so uh, she gave me a suggestion actually that she heard that you put the voicemail to record and then you put a sock over the phone. So it kind of dulls down the reverb, say, of, of the yep. room reverb that you might be hitting off, <laughs> off the walls and whatnot. Yep. So I did that and it worked. I was, <laughs> you know, it's very strange, you know, but, but I guess uh, a necessity is the, uh, is the mother of invention, right? So let me ask you this, uh, because I want to let people know before we move on to some other deeper questions. Uh, I saw it on the Facebook page and people can go to Sustaining Utica. It's on Facebook. People can find it. It's sustainingutica.com as well. Uh, where is the podcast itself available if people want to hear episode one? Sure. It's uh, you go to sustainingutica.com and then there's a toolbar in the upper right hand corner. Just click on podcasts. Episode one is right there with a short description. Like awesome. I said, episode two is going to drop sometime this weekend. And I'm really excited about that, too. And just for folks, uh, so we know a little bit about this, uh, the podcast, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, mm -hmm. really what you guys are focusing on in this entire project it is examining how locally owned business, uh, food businesses and farms have been affected by the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I'm sure you've met with a lot of folks, and I don't want to spoil anything, but can you at least give me a little bit of idea of, you know, our, is it a feeling of concern? Is it a feeling of uncertainty? How's the general tenor from a lot of the folks you've been speaking with? Sure. It's mixed, to be honest with you. Uh, we've spoken to some uh, businesses, and this goes all the way up and down the supply chain from the farm right to the restaurant and every place in between. Uh, so some businesses are struggling. Uh, some are really feeling the hurt from, from COVID. And then others are actually uh, so busy that they are, are kind of hurting in the other way where they can't keep up with demand. So it's an interesting mix. And there's some underlying themes that my partner and I have kind of tapped into that we've discovered about uh, the local food ecosystem where there are just all of these vendors that uh, cooperate basically. And there's a real sense of collegiality 
uh, in terms of uh, not, not necessarily being um, in competition with each other, but rather, you know, helping each other out. So that's, that's really the kind of thread that, that ties all of this together is, is, is that, that type of cooperation within this network. I'm not sure if you've gotten as far to talking to him uh, at this point, and you probably have already, but uh, for many years, I, when I first came back to Utica, one of the first people to give me an opportunity for work was my good friend, Tim Hardiman, who works over at Taylor and the Cook. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I'd worked in many restaurants in New York for many years doing big time touristy restaurant stuff. And that was hard for a different reason. But, you know, going to, to Tim and working at Taylor for even the short period of time that I was there, it felt in its own way like a college course. I learned more about the relationship between uh, restaurants and farmers and, and the local farm to table economy than I ever learned anywhere else. And it was, it was, it was very fascinating and almost, I, I couldn't, it seemed like such a delicate ecosystem that something like this could be a real problem. Oh, did I lose you? Are we frozen? Hang on, I think I froze. Frozen. Oh. Did I freeze you? Oh, no, I think we're good now. We're good. Did you hear what I said at least, or should I go again? I, no, no, I, hear, I heard what you said about the tailor and the cook. And, and yeah. first of all, restaurant, I mean, awesome. they, they are top notch with, with their service and, and their offerings. And, and I, I don't know too much about their farm to table operation, but it, it's impressive. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we, we were definitely examining those type of, of businesses that strive to source locally. And even, even uh, uh, not all farm to table stuff, but even supporting like your local wholesaler instead of buying uh, through, through a larger distributor. Uh, that's, that's a common thread that we're kind of uh, seeing too, is that behind the scenes, there are these wholesale distributors that a lot of people make connections with and then uh, connect with other vendors through these distributors. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's a big part of the network too. And it, it's just funny how, how uh, small of a, of a community it really is in, in Utica how, uh, you know, everybody is kind of connected in, uh, you know, by, you know, one, you know, however many degrees of, of separation, but it's. I always it, assumed it was uh, just an Italian thing growing up, but apparently it's just the whole city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, we, uh, you know, I'll give a little spoiler for our third episode. We're actually uh, interviewing Oscar Neitz. Awesome. And uh, so we, we really got some good content there and, you know, the East Utica uh, Italian-American uh, population will be happy. It's, it's very I'm a huge connoisseur of pizza around this place. Not as much as my good friend Pete forgets, but I will say Oskinitz is probably my, once Pasquale's Pizzeria on, on uh, Varick Street closed years ago, I think Oskinitz <laughs> remains my number one all time. Yeah, yeah. They, they have, uh, you know, a unique style oh, yeah. uh, for upside down pizza. And second of all, they're the second oldest uh, pizzeria in the United States. So, you know, <laughs> uh, so Kyle, we do have some lightning round questions and I, uh, and I do want to thank you for spending some time here with us. Uh, and again, if folks want to listen to the podcast or learn more about the project, it's sustainingutica.com and you guys are on Facebook and on Twitter as well. I see. Yep. As well as Instagram. Yes. Awesome. Cool. Cool. So I'll make sure to link everything for our listeners. Uh, when we put the show up later tonight, I just have to ask you, cause I was in your spot last year. You said you're done in what may you're getting to yeah. the end here. Hopefully May. <laughs> How would you say, what would you put your stress level at right now in this? Because I'm very curious if you're as stressed out as I was. This semester, not so much uh, because I am right in my comfort zone with food reporting and uh, talking about local food and, and all that stuff is really, 
right in my lane. Yeah. Next semester, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm doubling up on classes and I'm also working full time. And I have a little six year old that runs around and like, you know, <laughs> you know, it makes it look like there's a tornado that, that struck my house. Uh, so I the last the last two classes I have are uh, cases mm-hmm. and then uh, media metrics and research. So it's very research based. And I have been looking forward to this, to be honest with you. I am so excited to do some research in PR. Um, I've, I've basically spent the last four or five years completing all these core courses that I, you know, you know, blew off. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. the younger. So I'm stuck. It's, it's almost like Billy Madison, you know, where I'm like in this, I'm in this classroom with like these 18 year olds. And I'm like the kind of fat dude there with like, you know, you know, middle-aged dude. <laughs> I'll give you so, one. Uh, I, not my last year, but the right semester before my last semester, I had a similar core class that I had missed, right? And, mm-hmm. I, and it was like, oh God, macro, like macroeconomics. Mm-hmm. And I am not a math person. So I'm like, oh, this is going to suck. And again, it's me, 34 year old bearded dude wearing like a dress shirt because I'm coming from like the young scholars office for like one <laughs> hour a day to do this. And then like, 30 19 year olds in their sweatpants who could care less and I was just like I am I wish this was a graduate course (laughs) it's like oh god I wish there was another adult in this classroom with me (laughs) yeah I I I, I've been there I've been there a few times Sam so like I said I'm I'm definitely going to be swamped in in the spring uh with with my studies but I'm really looking forward to uh putting my best research hat on and, and just really diving in well, listen, I, I hope that uh, no matter what happens going forward, uh, you get at least to stay a little bit of time at UC because, again, I can't imagine what the graduate students will do without you to send frantic emails to at all hours of the day. Uh, Kyle, before we let you go, uh, would you like to run some lightning round questions? These are the same seven or eight questions we ask everybody who's been on the show since the very beginning. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Uh, Kyle Riker, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Black. Black coffee. And, and strong. So and let cold. me ask you this. Uh, did you have to work your way up to black coffee? This is always the secondary question. Or were you always a black coffee drinker? Always. Always have been. Except, I mean, my dad kind of got me hooked on it. I remember, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe 10 or 11. Yeah. I'd have me put a little drop of uh, drop of coffee in the milk. And I was like, hmm. So I guess at that point, I really did take a lot of cream in my coffee. But oh, yeah. Shortly- I, I went, I, I'm, I'm really more of a black coffee drinker. Yeah. Uh, what was your first automobile? <laughs> oh man. It was a Chrysler station wagon. Yes. And for like the back folded down and I could just camp wherever I wanted to. And, and the thing got me around pretty good. I, I have some very fond memories in that car. Well, you may or may not have taken this Chrysler to see it but what was your first live music event oh man i gotta say it was had to be one of the k-rockathons i think it was one at, at vernon downs uh geez yeah that's I a think pretty that... common answer locally which i think speaks a lot for the out the reach that k-rock had for men of a certain age from a certain generation when it came to music oh for sure i, I it might have been the one where the lead singer from boy hits car climbed the yeah. scaffolding and, and dive from like 40 feet up or something. Oh I remember that happening. Uh, give me, uh, if you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your relative, who would it be 
and why? Right now? Yeah. Donald Trump. I think I'd want to have dinner with Donald Trump and just have a little little saucer on the side, maybe a box of, of tissues or something for him. And I would just really want to talk it out with him, make sure he's okay. Uh, you know what? I could do without it. I could do without having a conversation with him. If I could end the dinner at any point in time, you know, like, like he did with the, with the uh, Dateline interview or the 60 Minutes interview. Well, yeah. as long as it's fast food, because that's all he eats. It'd be done in like yeah. five minutes, yeah. It would have to be McDonald's or, or something, yeah. All right, I'm going to set the stage for you. You are the WWF World Heavyweight Champion. You are walking out onto the ramp, the title above your head, the crowd is cheering your name. What song is playing in the background as you walk to the ring? Oh, man. I think it's going to have to be something by the Grateful Dead because I'm so obsessed with them. I know that that would totally like, you know, they're expecting some like power rock anthem or something. And then it would be like an uppity Grateful Dead song, though. Dude, I gotta def- tell you, I'm, I'm 34 years old now. And I've had this conversation with my co-host, Kevin. Almost every one of my male friends turned 30 and is suddenly into the Grateful Dead. And I don't understand <laughs> what I'm, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm the one who's messed up. Maybe I'm a little screwed up in the head. But everyone I know is like, oh, I've seen this tweet 10 times. You know what? I think I kind of like the Grateful Dead. I'm like, what? <laughs> what happened? It, it, it really was kind of like a reaction to being on the electronic dance DJ circuit yeah. for 10, 15 years and promoting parties. And that's literally all I listened to for, you know, from 2001 to about 2010. And then I went to see a dead iteration show. And slowly from there, I've kind of descended into this whole Grateful Dead fandom thing. And, you know, I just, I really, really love the Grateful Dead. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking Hell in a Bucket would be the song. Okay. So, All right. I'm going to be able to put that on the podcast list this week. Uh, give me, uh, if you were on the show Jeopardy, what category, shout out to Alex Trebek, by the way, uh, yeah. what show, uh, what category would pop up on the screen that you think you could dominate more than anybody else? Hmm. Well, we've already said Grateful Dead, so I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to say cryptocurrency. Wow. That's amazing because I've yet to find any person who can actually explain to me what cryptocurrency really is. Well, how long you got for this podcast? Is there a time limit? I mean, it it might take a little while. We can do Um, a separate economy cast about this at a different time. It's the internet for money. It's decentralized. and, And you can program things with it, too, so it goes beyond money. Uh, Kyle, give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Mm. Trying to think of a good one. Give me a second. You know, I, I, finished, it. I finished it, but I have to give a shout out to this uh, Avenue Five. Mm. It's on Amazon. Okay. It's a um, it's a space cruise line that things go horribly wrong kind of like the titanic except they're out space it is hilarious and it's almost like a metaphor for 2020 it's like whatever could go wrong does go wrong and just like every episode it just like inches up the guy you know the guy from house the main actor he's he's the lead he's the he's the um so highly recommend that um that that's really a great sci-fi very cool. And finally, Kyle, before we let you uh, go for the evening, besides uh, 
community interaction, farm and table stuff, education. What's one more thing that you are passionate about? I have to say my family, you know, like we, uh, we all are really coming together. Um, we live up, uh, my mom and dad live on the same property as I do. Uh, my six-year-old daughter is being homeschooled right now. So we're really all just kind of here and kind of trying to get through this pandemic together. But it's really, I mean, even though I joke about how my daughter makes a mess and stuff, um, I'm really thankful that, um, you know, she's in my life and my wife is, and that my mom and dad are, you know, so close and, and supportive. So, yeah. Well, Kyle, thank you so much. Again, I hope stay healthy and safe during this time, you know, especially now with everything going on, I'm reading all the news today that everything's going up. So I hope you and your family stay safe. Uh, again, folks, it is sustainingutica.com. Kyle, thank you so much for your time. And uh, because I'm bad at doing the recording stuff, when I end this, it just sort of goes off into the ether. So. <laughs> okay, Sam, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, Kyle. All right, listen, if you have podcast questions, just uh, DM me or whatever. Okay, I will. Right. Thanks. No problem. Bye. episode or not depending on how deep we got into uh standing utica podcast which you should sure. check out it's really cool the stuff yeah, they're yeah. doing and uh but kyle used to be the first face in the utica college graduate education department that you mm. would see if you walked in the room i see right he's the first person you'd see he was like their main education liaison and i can tell you right now that there are at least 75 to 80 percent of the graduate students i know who credit kyle for making sure they knew what they needed to do to graduate. Like That's it's not, incredible. It's not always super mm -hmm. easy to keep everything in line when you're doing this. And, yeah, I can imagine. And Kyle probably had to answer more inane questions. And over and over, Over too. and Same over again from yeah. multiple people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he gets enough credit, especially from the education folks who've been there, for all that little like nuance work that he did to make sure that guys like me were complete and finished at the end of our graduate cycle. That's incredible. And that's shout out to him because um, that's something that so many people need, you know, yeah. where, you know, I, I can I definitely understand and identify with the notion of like getting to a college and not understanding what you're supposed it's to do dense. and have to do and not knowing who to ask or where to go. And um, if you don't have those people in your life who can who can guide you, whether they, have, they don't have the time, the knowledge, the experience, whatever, you're flying blind, and that can be discouraging, and that can have a lot of people spin out just because they didn't really know where to go. So shout out to Kyle for doing that that thankless work. Uh, you should be thanked more. So we th I thank yeah. you. What I would do is I would go follow him on Twitter at Kyle Riker and send him a thank you. That's mm. what I would do if I were you. Indeed. That's follow just, him on Twitter. That's just him. me. Great Twitter follow, by the way. Mm. Uh, all right. Let's get into this week's history lessons. We went really long on the first segment. so I, Super long. So I don't know how deep we'll dig into all these. Maybe I'll skip one or two. Yeah, just well, some bullet points. Uh, on this, this is actually a cool story, though. On this day, yeah. 1778, uh, 
Patriot Colonel Ichabod Alden refused to believe intelligence that he had received about an approaching hostile force. Mm. As a result, a combined force of loyalists and Native Americans attacked in the snow, killing more than 40 patriots, including Alden, and took at least 70 additional prisoners in what today is known as the Cherry Valley Massacre. For mm. folks who don't know, this took place east of Cooperstown, New York, in what is now considered Oswego County. Oswego mm. County. So some local history here for you folks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ichabod Alden was a New Englander from Duxbury, Massachusetts, who began his military career in the Plymouth Militia before serving in the 25th Congressional Regiment during the Siege of Boston that followed the Battle of Lexington and Concord in 1775. He was then sent to command the 7th Massachusetts Regiment in Cherry Valley, New York, where he was strategically out of his depth in a mm. state deeply divided by loyalists and patriots and with a significant Native American military presence. I always find New York's like impact in the in the Revolutionary War fascinating because we were sort of like this middle ground between like the it wasn't so clear what was going on in New York necessarily. There was a lot of action on both sides. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alden ignored warnings that local natives were planning an attack and left the two to three hundred men stationed to defend Cherry Valley ill prepared for the eventual arrival of six hundred Iroquois soldiers under the adept mm. command of Chief Joseph Brandt and then another 200 men known as Butler's Rangers under the command of Loyalist Major William Butler. Mm. Uh, ironically, on November 11, 1775, exactly three years before this so-called massacre, uh, the Congressional Congress had engaged the missionary Samuel Kirkland to spread the gospel among the Indians and confirm their affections to the United Colonies to try and preserve friendship and neutrality, but uh, tough, tough go. I, I just find this section of history super fascinating. Well, it's cool because there's some, like you like you said you can see you can see it at the local level. You know what I mean? Like you can go to the Oriskany battlefield 10 12 minutes up the road. You know, you can go out and see Fort Stanwix in Rome. When you go down like when I was in Saratoga a couple months ago and you go see I mean you talk about Battle of Saratoga, Battlefield, all these different oh, yeah. places some of the historical. You look at these houses and these streets and if you're an imaginative person with the understanding for history, you can practically feel these these you know Revolutionary War era people walking on the streets. I love living in an area that's got such a, a deep, older, rich history that's been a part of this country since we got here. You may have said, did you do the Stanwix thing, Fort Stanwix? What's that? You've been to Fort Stanwix? Uh, when, I, when I was younger, I did it a couple times, and then I did one meeting there for a board of directors I was on. But... It's wildly cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, cool. I'm stunned that nobody Super, talks I about been, how cool been, it is. I haven't been in a while. Yeah, it's, it's really uh, cool. One of the one of the gems of Rome for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. Where we? I guess we can do this. This is an important one, so I don't want to skip past it. Okay. Um, on this day, nineteen thirty-eight, an event happened in Germany that would foreshadow the Holocaust. Mm. It's called the Night of Broken Glass or Kristallnacht. Kristallnacht. Yeah. Uh, this was how German Nazis launched a campaign of terror against Jewish people in their homes in Germany and Austria. Mm -hmm. uh, violence continued from November 10th and was later dubbed the Night of Broken Glass after the countless smash windows of Jewish-owned establishments. Approximately 100 Jews died, 7,500 Jewish businesses were damaged, and hundreds of synagogues, homes, schools, and graveyards were vandalized. An estimated 30,000 Jewish men were arrested. Uh, what's really interesting about this story, and really sad, is the way that this actually was set up, right? Uh, the Nazis used the murder of a low-level German diplomat, uh, diplomat in Paris by a 17-year-old Polish Jew as mm -hmm. an excuse to carry about the attacks. Mm -hmm. uh, Ernst von Rath was the, uh, was the young man who, uh, I'm sorry, he was the, the diplomat who was shot outside the German embassy by Herschel Grispan. I think I said that right. 
who wanted revenge for his parents' sudden deportation from Germany to Poland, uh, along with thousands of other Polish Jews. Following the death, uh, Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels ordered German stormtroopers to carry out violent raids disguised as, quote, spontaneous demonstrations, unquote, uh, against Jewish citizens. Uh, after the aftermath, the Nazis blamed the Jews and fined them one million marks uh, for the death. As repayment, the government seized Jewish property and kept insurance money owed to Jewish people. Uh, it's estimated that this is probably the sliding door sort of moment that emboldened Nazi Germany to really step forward into what would become the proper mm -hmm. Holocaust. But mm -hmm. and under, I only bring this up because it's an under-discussed part of history. Mm -hmm. I've talked about it in my history class with kids and... No one knows what I'm talking about when we're talking yeah. about the Night of Broken Glass. Really, mm -hmm. really horrible moment in history, but important that you know about it. For sure. Yeah. And and it's also something, you know, people ask, like, I can't believe, like, Hitler came into power. Like, people had opportunities to step up to Hitler, and it mm. just didn't happen all the time. Like, Neville Chamberlain, mm. historically, from England, didn't really want to go to war, wasn't really mm -hmm. willing to. And could have probably done more to stop the Nazi regime from ever really establishing a foothold in Europe had they been more willing to stand up for something, but Neville Chamberlain was like, nah, we ain't got no money. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Moving on to this day, 1954. Uh, Ellis Island, the gateway to America, shuts its doors after processing more than 12 million immigrants since it opened in 1892. An estimated 40% of all current Americans can trace their roots through Ellis Island, which is located in the New York Harbor off of New Jersey, a name mm. for Samuel Ellis. Mm. Uh, Probably a libtard. <laughs> probably was I'm sure he was uh, the first person to pass through was on January 2nd 1892 it was 15 year old Annie Moore you gotta remember facts are not political I'm just reading facts here I'm just, I'm just talking about the facts uh, not all immigrants who sailed into New York had to go through Ellis Island first and second class passengers submitted to brief shipboard inspections and then disembarked into the piers of New York and New Jersey where they passed through customs whereas people in third, gra uh, third class were transported to Ellis Island, where they mm. underwent medical and legal inspections to ensure they didn't have any contagious diseases or some condition that would make them a, quote, burden to the government. Mm. Uh, this sounds kind of malicious, but in fact, uh, only 2% of all immigrants who were ever came through Ellis Island were ever denied in the United States. Mm. So it's a, a huge number of people came through. You know, you still don't like to see people denied, but it's a really small number considering the way that they were treated even getting off the boat. Mm. Uh, during the busiest year of operation in 1907, over 100, I'm sorry, over 1 million people were processed at Ellis Island. Uh, beginning in 1984, it went a $160 million renovation and became the largest historic restoration pro uh, project in U.S. history. Uh, and also in 1990, it opened the Immigration Museum to the public, which is visited by about 2 million people a year. Again, if you're ever in New York and you ever get a chance to go to the Ellis Island Immigration Museum, Simply a fascinating building. Mm -hmm. Really, really cool, all the mm -hmm. stuff that's in there. Uh, I won't harp on it, but yeah, another really important like time and place moment for our country. Mm -hmm. Ellis Island doesn't, we don't talk about it as much anymore. Mm. I mean, I don't think, I mean, it's been close since 1954, but. True. Uh, but yeah, it's a really important single place that you can, yeah. most people can have some family member that touches back to it if you really want to mm. be connected to history, which is something nerds like me really enjoy. Mm. On this day, 1969. Sesame Street, a pioneering television show that would teach generations of young children the alphabet and how to count, made its broadcast debut. Uh, today, it has aired on more than 120—sorry, uh, no, more than 120 countries. 
we don't have to spend forever on Sesame Street. Um, I do think it's really important, though, to talk about at least the way that Sesame Street has sort of stayed evolutionary with the times. Going back to 2000, a South African version of the program introduced a five-year-old Muppet character named Cammy who was HIV positive in order to help children living with the stigma of the disease. 2006, a new Muppet named Abby Cadabby makes her debut and was positioned as the first female star character to help promote diversity. And then in May of 2019, a Muppet character whose mother is battling addiction was introduced, acquainting kids with the opiate crisis. Since its inception, over 80 million Americans have watched Sesame Street. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to you that I'm not one of those kids. My mom felt that Sesame Street was wildly important. I would watch it every single morning. And if you go back to what Sesame Street is all about, the general idea, uh, Jane Cooney, who was the original uh, brainchild of the show, saw it as a way to help underprivileged three- and five-year-old kids prepare for kindergarten. And it was set in a fictional New York to help introduce ethnically diverse characters and positive social messages. The original social justice warriors, Mm -hmm. Sesame Street. I know they're on HBO now. I think they're still on PBS. But I, I can't understate, for me personally... What an important television show Sesame Street yeah, was man. from day one. Of course. And I got to give my mom all that credit. Of course. Shout out to um, Unsung uh, Ahead of His Time Hero from Sesame Street. Uh, song coming through big this week. Shout out to The Count. Yo, The Count. Stop The Count. You can't, the, stop can't, the, can't stop The Count. count. Can't stop The can't Count. Stop the count. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One. Ah, 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 ah. One. Oh. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Two. Two votes. Mm, shout uh, out to The Count. God, the Count. What a, what a character. It was more like a hard layup. It wasn't a dunk. <laughs> it, was not, <laughs> it was a hard layup. Oh, a finger roll with contact. Uh, <laughs> on this day... 1973, the Soviet Union refuses to play Chile in the World Cup in soccer. Uh, Soviet Union announced that because of its opposition to the recent overthrow of the government of Chilean President Salvador Allende, it would not play a World Cup soccer match against the Chilean team if the match were held uh, because it was held in Santiago. Uh, the International Football Federation had given the Soviets until that day to decide whether they would play the game. The Soviet team had already played Chile in a 0-0 tie that took place in Moscow. It steadfastly refused uh, refused to play the rematch in Santiago, charging the stadium in which the game would take place had recently been the scene of the torture and killing of Allende supporters during the coup. Uh, Allende, who was a Marxist, was killed during the takeover. The Soviets offered to play the game in a neutral country, but the foundation refused the compromise, and the Soviet team that had reached the quarterfinals in the last World Cup was eliminated from competition. This would not be the last time that Cold War battles found their way into international sporting events. Uh, following the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in 1979, U.S. President Jimmy Carter asked the U.S. Olympic team to boycott the 1980 games that were held in Moscow, which the U.S. team then accepted. Uh, again, stick to sports, guys. <laughs> no politics in sports, guys. I'm just saying. Know. It is funny. We were watching that video earlier. Pull up for a mid-range, too. No, I'm just saying. Like, it's, I don't... I, it's one of the things that drives me nuts about like being a teacher sometimes, right? Like, mm. We have to talk about certain things. You can't just pretend that certain things didn't happen. All the time. That's all. It drives me nuts about being a human. I'm with you there, buddy. (laughs) If I report on something that happened, if I talk about, like, Nazi stuff that happened, it's not me trying to dunk on white supremacists. Mm -hmm. It's talking about what happened in 1943. Like, this is the reality. Like, it's not a statement by me Mm -hmm. to, like, talk about shit that happened and give analysis of it. It's just not. I have faith, bro. Uh, All right, Uh, here's some nice news. In historic moves this week, Colorado voters decided to introduce gray wolves back into Colorado's western mountains by 2024. 
Uh, supporters suspect it would sail the victory, but voters are apparently wary of releasing wolves back into the environment. I kind of get oh, it. Oh, man. Really I, yeah, I, get, I mean, you get it. I understand why <laughs> people believe a lot of wild stuff, so that one definitely makes like, oh. some... Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I feel like wait, it's... Wait, you a, mean wolves? I'm just picturing people like in the suburbs right outside of Denver like, wait, wolves? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, in a move criticized as ballot box biology... Uh, uh, Colorado will become the first state where voters direct the reintroduction of gray wolves rather than the federal government. So that is kind of an interesting point. They've taken this as a state. Uh, Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, I understand why this is a hard sell for people, right? Like, to a certain extent, it's hard to explain why we need more wolves. Well, it's like, it's the same thing. It's, it's kind of like defund the police. Where it's like, yeah, okay, if you listen to these three words and just take them and... You know, let's put wolves back in Colorado. It's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. A minute. But when you actually look uh, at what they're saying behind just the lead phrase, it makes a, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I could see that. That's hilarious. Though. Oh, breaking news! Uh, Trump de- uh, tweets that Defense Secretary Mark Esper has been quote unquote terminated. Ooh, well, that's a uh, terrible, terrible, terrible news, mm. and uh, very fucking ominous. So mm. great, hate to see it. Great. Uh, all right. Uh, Tom Morello this week, a little bit of Internet Remains Undefeated, uh, couldn't help but endlessly dump on people who were using Rage Against the Machine songs out of context, particularly uh, footage from a Trump rally in Philadelphia where people were dancing around to the song Killing in the Name. Uh, Morello replied, not exactly what we had in mind. With the blue flag. They had the blue striped flag (laughs) while they were dancing to Killing in the Name off. Just a reminder, some of the lyrics of that song include, Some of those who work forces are the same that burn crosses. Uh, just reminding people to pay attention to the music you think you're using as support music. Pay attention to the lyrics. It's uh, not just guitar riffs, guys. I know. I know. Uh, all right. Uh, other news this week. I sent a message out to longtime Massachusetts representative Dan Avisado to know if he heard about this. But earlier this week, the strongest earthquake to hit southern uh, New England in decades mm. rattled homes and nerves Sunday morning, though not causing any major significant damage. Though first reported as a magnitude 4, it was later downgraded to 3.6. Uh, it could be felt for more than 9.3 miles across Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Long Island, and parts of New York. Uh, a lot of folks saying this is the first first earthquake they've really ever felt in New England. Uh, that would be if I lived there. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that would well, feel like an about, ominous sign from there. So the first one, huh? Well, so I think you haven't been recording history for that long, no, especially on a geological time scale. <laughs> uh, the epicenter of the quake was Buzzards Bay, off the coast mm. of New Bedford in Massachusetts. What a great name! Great name. You imagine you live in Buzzards Bay. <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, For folks who are curious, it did not cause a tsunami. To cause a tsunami, an earthquake has to be somewhere around a 7, 7.5 magnitude. Mm. So not that kind of earthquake. That being said, I have read in the the past, and something I've thought about, you know, if you go to a place like San Francisco, or a place where, you know, earthquakes are relatively common, Mm. you know, new buildings are created with earthquake precautions in mind. You know, earthquake-safe building things. It doesn't save anything necessarily more, yeah. you know, but still, they're going out of their way to try and make buildings that are, quote-unquote, earthquake-proof. You know what mm. I mean? They're using... Yeah, yeah. New York City, Boston, East Coast cities are not built this way. 
a major earthquake in a place like New York City would be like worst case scenario. That city oh, is God, not yeah. Boston. Boston dude, would sink into the sea. It would be yeah, yeah, it'd be terrible. horrifying. So, so let's hope. that's the scary part about this for me is like a lot of these East Coast cities are not even remotely prepared for the uh-huh. possibility of what could potentially happen to a major earthquake. There's your doomsday report for the week. But really though, like there's probably not going to be a major earthquake. I hope not. Like <laughs> I hope not. Uh, all right. Uh, also this week. If you've seen any spanted, uh, spotted lanternflies, you need to do something about it. This new invasive species has been recorded in parts of Philadelphia and Connecticut. Could be its way to New York. Oh, so no lanternflies for us. They're calling it the COVID-19 of the insect world. It is very dangerous for trees and crops. Uh, again, they are a serious threat to agriculture, not to mention quality of life. Uh, again, Connecticut, Philadelphia, keep your eyes out, folks, for the spotted lanternfly. Yep. Very creepy. Uh, all right, what else, what else? Oh, here's a fun story. Uh, I'm calling this no-duh news, okay? Okay. This is from NPR this week. Uh, a study earlier this week found that 27 people uh, were realized that psilocybin mushrooms were a- more effective in treating depression than common medicines, to of which course. I say, uh, yeah. No-duh news, yeah. No-duh <laughs> news. The effect is far is more than four times greater, says Alan Davis, the author of the study and a faculty member at both John Hopkins and Ohio State. Well, mm-hmm. I guess he's a scientist. Ballot of a uh, ballot initiative in Oregon <coughs> approved mm-hmm. uh, legal use of psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, like I decriminalized uh, somewhere else to own like Washington or something like that. I want to say uh, like Colorado. Well, they are saying that it could be used to ease depression, anxiety, in patients who have light-threatening cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just say this: in my years of living in New York, and you know, being Sort of an edgy guy. I've never seen any person <laughs> sort of an edgy guy. You I'm, know, just being sort of an edgy, edgy guy. guy. I've never seen any person on mushrooms who was depressed. I've never seen one person who has taken mushrooms who was super depressed. It's just my uh, my view from the outside <laughs> looking mm. in. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, I think this speaks to something greater. Like, for a long time, you couldn't even do medical studies on marijuana because it was illegal, right, for doctors to even, scientists to really get into and look at it. Yeah. I think you have to be, you know, willing to look at, you know, some of this stuff as, is there a benefit for this? What can we learn from the effects of this? Uh, completely. Completely. Agree. I just hope yeah. that exists and I'm good to see, that, again, with the passing of all this stuff in the last, you keep know. Keep learning and looking. Never, never a bad thing to keep learning. All right. Uh, one last Doomsday Report. Uh, I just like the headline here. Mysterious radio signal is coming from inside the galaxy. The aliens are in the house They're the whole time. Inside the house. Shout the out whole to time. shout out to the reptilian mob on Stitcher. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mysterious intense blast from the independent.com or.co. Uh, mysterious intense blasts of radio energy have been detected from within our own galaxy. Astronomers have said uh, these fast radio blasts or FRBs last only a fraction of a second, can, but can be a hundred times more powerful than the sun. And despite their intensity, their origin remains largely unknown. I mean, that's spooky. Could be anything. So look it out, guys. The killer's inside the house all along. All right. uh, Let's see. Do I have any lightning? Do I have any mailbag questions? I guess we're going pretty long today, so... I will save mailbag for next week. Okay. Uh, Kev, I didn't send you the Spotify mix yet this week, so I'm mm. sure that you don't have anything picked out mm, beforehand. Off the top of my head, you'll get my picks as a surprise. As this, Let me see what I got here. Is there anything I wanted to talk about before I got on here? Uh, oh, yeah. Some Bad Religion on here. Uh, what are we standing for? Just because I was in the zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song How We Do by 50 Cent in the game after oh, we watched wow. that Watch Mojo video. Wow. Because- <laughs> 
And for anyone who saw the video I posted on Twitter of the bats dancing upside down, in the, it looked like a nightclub, it was bats sleeping, but the camera mm-hmm. was turned upside down like a goth club. Uh, I included that song. So that song is also on here if you want to get your goth song. Uh, I could, except it's in Russian, and I don't know how to say it. So, Sick. Chayo by Molchat Doma. Love That's it. the name of the track. It's pretty good. Love it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thanks again to Kyle Riker. Shout out to mm-hmm. Heather Waz. Um, Got to check in with her. We miss you always. Always miss her. Uh, but now that, I mean, God, now that COVID stuff's going up, we'll never see her again. Never. Never again. Shout out to all my voters. Yeah, well, shout out to the voters. Shout out to anybody who voted. Uh, that's it. Sayonara, humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. The tape machines are rolling. We are desperately, desperately out of time. You can follow us on Facebook, SoundCloud, Instagram, Stitcher Podcast, Apple Podcast. We are taking over the web Stitcher hive. And, uh, yeah, it does feel like a different world, however corny that sounds now. And I'm... We're looking forward to the next couple of weeks to see uh, where we're headed. But be positive. It's okay to feel good. It's okay to feel good, guys. Feel good about something, uh, even if it's just chatting up your pals on the old pod. We'll catch you next week, folks. Episode 282. Next week, have a good one, folks. Take care of yourselves.